KXNO. From the Lithia Body Sports Desk, powered by BMW of Des Moines, this is an X's and O's update on 1460 KXNO. And I'm Trent Condon. Yesterday, the bracket was released in women's basketball, though a little bit earlier than anticipated. A mistake at ESPN released the bracket in the afternoon before the 6 o'clock selection show. The Iowa Hawkeyes earn a 2 seed. They'll be opposite Mercer. Drake in the same pod as the 10 seed. They'll get Missouri in the first round. Iowa State's number 3 seed. They'll get New Mexico State. The Iowa State men are back in the top 25 after the Big 12 Tournament Championship over the weekend. The Cyclones finished 23rd in the final rankings of the regular season. Going into the NCAA tournament where the six-seeded Cyclones will open up against 11-seed Ohio State Friday in Tulsa. Tonight, the first four gets started for the NCAA tournament. Game one, Fairleigh Dickinson against Prairie View. And the nightcap, Temple versus Belmont. And in baseball, the Angels and Mike Trout are nearing a $430 million contract extension over 12 years. Keep up with KXNO on Twitter and Facebook. Go to KXNO.com to learn more. From 1460 KXNO. Hi, welcome back. Hour number two. Take you until noon. You miss any portion of the program. You can always check out the podcast, KXNO.com. Iowa AAU Boys Basketball. Iowa District Championships, high school district champions coming up in Des Moines April 12th through the 14th. 9th through 12th grade, the entry fee is $200. For more information, aauiowa.org, aauiowa.org, the entry fee is $200. And the deadline to enter your team uh, is April the 1st. It's the three, you're guaranteed three games, pool play followed by bracket play. Uh, coming up on the 14th. The 12th through the 14th here in Des Moines. Let's get Pat Hardy in here, shall we? AllHawkeyes.com. And, of course, he's a radio guy in his own right. KCJJ1630 on your dial. Hello, Pat Hardy. Trent Condon, Ken Miller. How are you? Good, gentlemen. How are you doing? Good. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. Good to catch up with you again. And, uh, you know, let's first of all talk about the uh, unfortunate card that all women's teams across the country were dealt yesterday that's a that's a just that's a fireable offense pat hardy the joy not only the players the coaches i mean you can never get that back bracks back seeing your bracket unveiled on television that's terrible no it is and i that's the risk you take when you're lined up with a media company that's going to help you promote your event, because I think we'd all agree that the women need as much promotion as they can. ESPN does a good job of that, but like you said, it is probably a fireable offense. I just worry because the person who probably made the mistake it could be a low-ranking person, but it's unfortunate. It just took away, really, a lot from the ceremony they had. There was no suspense or drama, and I've heard of this kind of stuff happening a few times before, but, I mean, this was bad, and it's just not what the women's game needs right now. Pat, it's been a while since we've talked, and because of that, I just want to get your overview on the men's side of things. You've been on the Iowa basketball beat and sports beat for a very long time. Two suspensions to a play-by-play broadcaster, a suspension of two games to the head coach. Is this the, I don't know, oddest year of covering Iowa basketball you can remember in your decades going back of covering this Hawkeye squad? Uh, I mean, odd might be the right word. We've got to remember, my first year on the beat was the year, tragically, Chris Street died. Oh, so, I mean, right. I've had some weird circumstances to deal with. But this is strange in that Iowa is getting ready to play in the NCAA tournament. They have 22 wins, and there's a part of the fan base that just wants Fran gone. I mean, it's odd. you see it on Twitter. You see it on mm-hmm. Facebook. That, to me, is odd. I've never 
thought I would experience that, but there's a lot of different things going on. The Dolphin suspension, I think even more so in Fran's case, I've had a lot of people reach out to me and say, yeah, yeah, he has got the program back to kind of where it was under Tom Davis, but we've got all these meltdowns and we've got all these behavioral issues. It's getting harder and harder for me to like Fran. That's the biggest difference because they are similar to where they were under Tom Davis. I mean, he's made it four out of the last six years. He's won one game in each of the last two appearances in the tournament, so he does have it there, but Davis never had any personal issues. Davis never lost his temper. I mean, he did during the course of a game, but he never lost his temper outside of that and what have you, and that's Fran's problem. His temper is a big part of his problem. He hasn't won enough at Iowa right now to offset that. What are you hearing regarding Tyler Cook uh, as far as him coming back or leaving? I think he got real, real close last year to leaving, came back to work on some things. Did he do enough to to earn himself a spot in professional basketball? What do you think is going to happen with Cook? My guess is that he would be gone, but I also thought he was going to be gone last year. I think he's done enough to earn a spot in professional basketball. I don't think he will be drafted. The last no. draft I saw without foreign players, he was 72nd. And there's, I believe, only 60 players get drafted. So I think he's a long shot to get drafted maybe late in the second round. But there, there's so much talk about whether he will be here or whether he won't be here. I think he's just tired of college and wants to mm-hmm. try something else. But he's never said that. In fairness, he's been very tight-lipped about this. So you never rule out anything. You ask my gut feeling. I think... He will be gone getting paid next year to play professional basketball. And I will say with Tyler, he's been great the whole time he's been here. Polite, never been a problem. I think times this year where he's played very unselfish and there was a concern that he was going to try to use his personal agenda and that may affect. I haven't seen a lot of that. Now, he's done something. I wish he would bring the ball up the court less and get down low and post up more. But they allow him to do that, so that must be something that they consider acceptable. Who's the MVP of this team? Oh, that's a tough one. I would probably say oh, that is really tough because I, want, I get ready to say Bohan, then you think of his inconsistency. Mm-hmm. You could make a strong case for Cook simply because he leads the team in scoring and rebounding, but he also, down the stretch, he was held scoreless at Wisconsin, had nine points at Nebraska. It, to me, I guess it would be either Cook or Bohannon almost by default. Bohannon's situation is he's either feast or famine he's either making these game-winning shots or he just completely gets shut down so that's tough but it would be one of those two it's so interesting because tyler cook at times feels like he's doing too much but he's one of the few guys on this roster that can get to the rim off the dribble and they're just the construction of this team maybe does put more on his plate than should be with what he is but it's the way this team was built overall as fran mccaffrey is this the ceiling? Is this as good as it can get? Sure. Maybe, well, maybe they pull good. an upset sometime and get to a Sweet 16. He's built the program to this level, but this is as high as it can go. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll soon know because I just wrote in a column the next step is they got to compete for the Big Ten title. I mean, they finished third twice. They went 12-6, and six, but they got to be in that Big Ten race until the final weekend, and they got to make a run in the tournament, which means get to, at least get to the Sweet 16. This is the 20-year anniversary that's the next step and i don't have the answer to that right now his ceiling appears to be slightly lower than where tom davis had the program but they can always make a run this year you just never know but that's the concern is that this is as good as it gets and we'll just have to see i mean i think we'll have our answer in the next i mean davis was here for 13 years we'll if we if fran gets another four years here we'll know a lot more about 
what he is. Pat Hardy, allhawkeyes.com. Pat, let's talk about the matchup. Uh, it's the 7-10 game uh, early on Friday. Um, Cincinnati is the opponent. A lot of folks thought that, you know, that they were maybe uh, understated a little bit, that they, they, they win their tournament and perhaps they moved up to the, should have moved to the six. Uh, they didn't. That we know that there are seven. Uh, they get Iowa. Cumberland is a terrific player. He might be the best player on the floor. Uh, on Friday, but there's not a. I mean, other than that, I mean, Brooks is big, but he's not. He's, I was come up against better bigs, in my opinion, throughout the Big Ten play. Where are you on Cincinnati in this matchup? I would give them a slight edge, but would not be surprised at all if Iowa won the game. I mean, Iowa's still a team that, on any given day, can make 11, 12 three pointers. Cincinnati's th- defense is very good, very aggressive. Their three point defense is not great based on statistics, and they're not a great three-point shooting team. And the NCAA tournament's weird. Sometimes three-point shots can be the difference. They only need to beat them once. Scouting reports are going to be limited, and what I mean by that is Big Ten teams know you've got to stick to Bohannon up to 23, 24 feet. It may take a half or three-quarters of this game on Saturday or on Friday for these Cincinnati players to realize that, and Bohannon may get off two or three or four open threes that he won't wouldn't get off against Big Ten opponents just due to the unfamiliarity. So I think that's going to be interesting. I would pick Cincinnati, but Cincinnati didn't play in a Power 5 conference. They're not a big team, and they rely a ton on athleticism to score. And sometimes if your shots aren't falling, that can... That can lead to an upset in the Big Ten tournament. You see it all the time, or the NCAA tournament, or any tournament for that matter, where it's a one-and-done setup. And then after that, more than likely, unless Colgate could pull the shocker and beat Tennessee and a chance to get to the Sweet 16 there. You know, you mentioned something I think is very interesting. Though Cincinnati is built much like a Big Ten team, they're physical, they're tough, they don't have that scouting report, that know every nuance that Iowa tries to do. And exactly. You look at the season, the 3-2 defense early this year, it was incredibly effective. But you give John Beeline and Tom Izzo and on and on and on, these great coaches in the league, you give them a scouting report and a chance to look at what they're doing, they're going to be able to figure it out. This is a quick turnaround for Mick Cronin, who's good in his own right, but just getting out of the Big Ten, maybe that's exactly what this Iowa team needs. Oh, and they all said that. Even Fran said that. It's going to be nice to play against a team that doesn't know everything that you do, and you can maybe surprise them a little bit. And like I said, I keep going back to three-point shooting. Big Ten teams know how close you got to get to these Iowa guys to disrupt their shot. It may take half mm-hmm. game for these Cincinnati guys to figure that out. You can't pick everything up just by watching film. So it's going to be interesting. And sooner or later, Iowa's going to have another one of these three-point shooting games where it just happens, and that sometimes is all it takes. And like I said, this Cincinnati team has at times this season I watched it, it can't make jump shots. There'll be times where it has to always rely on its athleticism and stuff to get to the basket. And one thing you can say about Cook and Garza, they're not great defenders, but they are big guys who can clog the lane and make it harder for those guys to get to the rim. You know, Pat, I'm anxious. This will be my last thing for you. I want to ask you about Nicholas Bear and his understanding of the game of basketball. Because to me, I mean, Aaron White had it. He was so smart. He understood the game. He knew where the rebounds were going to come off most times. Um, there were other parts of his game that, you know, he would try to draw contact. I get it's part of the game, but that bothered me for whatever reason. <laughs> Nicholas Bear, to me, is as smart a basketball player has put on that uniform in, in a long time. He 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 didn't have a lot of skill let's let's be honest he's one of those will guys but it's between the ears that i thought made nicholas bear the player that he is where is he as far as you know give me a couple of other names that are really understood the game and because of that maybe made them better than they should have been oh someone like jim bartles i'm going to go way yeah. back jim bartles was a 6 foot 6 
small forward shooting guard who, by the time he was done at Iowa, he wasn't very recruited out of Wisconsin. By the time he was done, he was a pretty good player. He really was. He helped him in a lot of different ways. I think I see a little bit of Jeff Settles in Nicholas Bear. Mm-hmm. Jess, obviously, Jeff was, Jess was better and was more of a factor as a starter and an All-Big Ten player, but Jess understood the game so much. He understood how to disrupt passing lanes. He could anticipate and what have you. But, yeah, that's the thing with Nicholas Bear. And what you, one thing you'll underestimate with Nicholas Bear, he does move real well for a guy who's a legitimate six seven. We kind of take him for granted because he's a walk-on from Bettendorf, but he does have quickness for a kid. His, his anticipation, his ability to dribble with both hands. I mean, he does a lot of things that Fran saw and that's why they got him to walk on. So, yeah, he's clearly – I mean, Jeff Horner is another player who I thought really understood the game and was almost like an extension of the coach. And the difference with Nicholas, I've never seen a player in all my years at Iowa who basically plays until he can't move anymore. Right. Nicholas basically plays three-minute spurts, and when they take him out, he literally is exhausted. I've never seen that before. That's how he does it. That's just how he plays. He plays until he can't play anymore, and it's, and it's just really nice that he's getting to finish his career in the NCAA tournament. And I know that was a big motivation for these players because they said that throughout the season. My final thing for you, backup point guard Connor McCaffrey, who is also playing baseball, but I figured the baseball was going to start when the season ended. Over the weekend, I was surprised he, by that. Yeah, he played against Col- uh, Cal State Northridge, pinch hitter, had a couple of doubles in one of the games on Sunday. That was a shocker to me, and and you know, with the last name that he has, I know it's rubbing some people the wrong way. Your takeaway? I don't have an issue with it. I mean, the baseball program's allowing it. The basketball program's allowing it. I just think we're to the point now where people are just looking for anything. I do, too. To complain about. I just If both programs don't have a problem with it, then what's the problem? I mean, Connor McCaffrey gets good grades. He doesn't cause any problems. He works hard. I just... To me, it's kind of neat. Why not celebrate this unique situation? I mean, he's not going to neglect any of his basketball responsibilities. Fran even said they basically did hardly anything on Sunday because he wanted the guys to kind of relax and get away from it. Connor just happened to get away from it by going three for five. And- mm. Right at the very end, uh, we lost Pat Hardy. Pat, uh, Pat thank you. Um, and I agree. I, I have no problem with it at all. No. No. I. But was that really an issue? Yes. And it, it has he should to be do... Cut, he should be in the gym working on his jump yeah. shot, not... Okay. Yeah. If it was Connor Dankelwich or Connor Smith, yes, right, it's it, not the issue. It I agree. Be with a you. conversation. Uh, Zuba Mahente is is next. Uh, would you text Pat Hardy? I and will. Thank yep. him. That was very good of. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to sixty percent on hotels. So whether it's cousin Kevin's kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin, or Becky's bachelorette bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. To come on, we appreciate that. Pat Hardy, allhawkeyes.com. Zuba Mahente, ESPN, joins us next. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. Rising my berry. Hawkeyes, Cyclones, Panthers, and Bulldogs. Yeah, we got that covered. This is Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. All right, welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. We take you up until noon. 
Uh, tomorrow, David Kaplan will slide on in here. We'll talk uh, baseball with Cap. He will do some brackets with Cap as well. Mm-hmm. I know that on his show today, he had Bill Self, so perhaps we'll get a recap of that. Oh. Did you see the rumor on the weekend that Bill Self is going to the Bulls? Did you see that rumor? I saw the rumor. Get out ahead of the posse. Now, that's what it was about. I, I don't know. Uh, Zubin Mahente joins us. So we go around the world of sports with Zubin. Zubin, Trent, and Ken, good to talk to you, Zubin Mahente. How are you? Good, good. We were doing the uh, late-night sports center last night. I had the audacity to pick Iowa State into the final four. That uh, huh? A lot of chuckles in the control room, but uh, I think a lot of my uh, coworkers are going to be quite surprised at how Iowa State plays. I think even though they've had a great amount of success, as you know, in Kansas City over the years, I think even Saturday when we had reported that they had won four out of the last six, they had never lost a Big 12 title game. I still think the country at large is unaware Mm -hmm. of that particular stat. Um, And I think, you know, as I've mentioned to you week after week, our analysts seem to think that they have the best pure talent of anybody Mm -hmm. in the Big 12. And I'm not sure what momentum really means. Maybe it means something, maybe it doesn't, but uh, pretty darn excited to see how they do. Yeah, indeed, Zubin, you're right. Four out of six, and it was brought up in the broadcast a lot. You know, speaking of the broadcast, it it just never ceases to amaze me, and and I say this with a great deal of respect, uh, just how much respect Everybody in the Big 12, in college sports overall, but particularly in the Big 12, because that's where Holly Rose spends so much of her time. The love that they have for a sideline reporter, if you want to call her that, and she's certainly more than that. But coaches, players, when Holly Rose speaks to them, that really means something, Zubin. It's funny. Um, Last year when Tom Crean was working here, now he's obviously coaching Georgia, he was doing a lot of the Big 12 package. You know, Fran is mostly... I guess, associated with the Big 12. And, and I grew up with Bob Schuster. Bob Schuster is the voice of the New York Jets uh, around these parts. And those two have been around for a long time. But when I was talking to Crean, and you know, he made it very clear when I was working with him during the halftimes and other segments, that this was definitely just a pit stop. He loved TV. It was interesting. It was different. Kept him relevant. Kept him he was great on it, too. Yeah. And, you know, he ended up snagging his first five-star in Anthony Edwards. He's doing a great job on the recruiting trail. The year wasn't as great as I don't think he was, he was hoping for. I was a rough one out of the gate, Nathan. But I remember him saying, uh, specifically about Holly, when he would go on the road, uh, whether it was to, to Ames or Norman or some of these other places in the Big 12, he goes, you know that Holly Rowe thing? I get it now. I see it now in person. Because you're right. She does get a lot of acclaim, and deservedly so, on social media. She's also largely identified with a lot of people for the women's tournament, but it was just somebody that had just been a pit stop for us that just dropped in, that knew the college game, happened to be paired with Holly on a game, and said, okay, I get it. I see it now. So it's one of those things where somebody like yourself that I know watches a ton of basketball and somebody like him that is just sort of wading his toe into the college basketball TV world before jumping back into the sport, it was one of the first things unabated. You know, he just brought it up unsolicited to me. So she definitely has an impact on a lot of people, no doubt. Zubin, there's at ESPN always the journalistic side. And a guy like Fran Fraschilla, who I think is outstanding, but he knows these guys really well. He knows the coaches really well. And when you get indoctored in, maybe sometimes that can take away the edge or, or the journalistic part of it. Is there ever concern? Has that ever come up at meetings at ESPN? We want you to be entrenched. We want you to know everybody, but maybe not be overly friendly. Is that ever a conversation with some of those people kind of inside that world? 
Well, I think a lot of it is one of those things you have to think about going in because when you're a coach, like let's just take Fran, for example, right? So Fran coached New Mexico, Fran coached St. John. And those are just going to be relationships. Now, those are outside of the Big 12, obviously. But those are just two examples of schools that he coached. He also coached the Manhattan Jaspers, right? So you're talking about, you know, smaller Division One, New Mexico, which is a mid-major, quote-unquote, but obviously has a great history. And St. John, even though it's been pretty dormant for about 20 years, uh, has some great history, too. Those relationships are something you really can't sever. And I, the only reason I bring up St. John's is, you get to a situation where you have like a Matt Abdul-Nasser, right? He's at Iowa State. Mm -hmm. Now he's at St. John's. Fran happens to know him from the Big 12, see what he could do in the Big East. That's just a small example of a guy that's coached a handful of schools where the relationships are just going to be there. And I think because of the general lack of access to college basketball players vis-a-vis NBA players, I mean, think about all the Zion you've seen this year. How many times have you really heard Zion speak before a game. Pretty rare, right? Mm -hmm. After a game, it's always there. He was on our Bracketology Sunday night, and I'm sure CBS is going to love having him after really not getting him much during the season at all. I think they had the Miami Duke game, and I'm not even sure Zion played in that game. So they haven't really gotten to taste of Zion. But think about that. Think about how much you hear from Wigginton or Lard or Jacobson before a game versus after a game. So to me, when you have somebody like Priscilla that can take you inside, and let you know what some of these coaches and players are thinking when the access to the fan is honestly not that great until post-game. I just think the relationships that you form, whether it's previous jobs, having been in a place, talking to a guy that's kind of been in your shoes, I actually think that totally helps the viewer out because in the NBA, for example, a coach, guys, the day of a game, a coach speaks three times. Okay, think about that. They speak at the morning shoot-around. They speak about 90 minutes before a game. Hmm. And then they speak after a game. And that's 82 times a year. And we just don't get to hear from collegiate athletes in that way. So if somebody like Priscilla, who's so well-versed in coaches, can use those relationships to his advantage to help the broadcast, I think it's best for all of us as fans. Mm. Uh, Zubin Mahente, ESPN, is our guest. Well, Zubin, let's get into the bracket overall. And you know, I, I go back to Sunday night after CBS was uh, was done with the bracket unveil, and I saw the numbers uh, were up, television numbers, uh, which they put up a good number, which is good to see because I think that's a precursor as to how popular this tournament is going to be this year, and why wouldn't it be? And then I flipped over to ESPN and I watched Reese Davis and Seth and Jay and Jay and Dickie V offside at the SEC tournament. They're, they're they're so good and they're so prepared, Zubin. You know who is? Um, you know, I, I get the analysts. They should be prepared. Reese Davis, in his own right, he is really, really good. He was terrific anchoring that show. I will tell you, of all the people I've worked with here for the last eight years, he is what a lot of his colleagues call, and I completely, one hundred percent, concur with this. He's a ten on both scales, meaning he is a ten as a host, and he's a ten as a person. And as you know. TV business can be kind of a crazy place. Um, he is just a great guy on and off the air, and he lives and breathes college basketball. I'll give you an example real quick of this. I mean, he, this guy has loved the sport growing up in Muscle Shoals, Alabama, for years. He may be more associated with college football just because college football is obviously now Trump college basketball has become such, such a huge endeavor. And game day basketball is about eight editions a year, and game day football, which will now be starting, I believe, his fourth year on is obviously turned into a phenomenon. 
but they had a special bracketology. We were doing Sports Center, I would say, right after the AAC game between Houston and Cincinnati. I was doing Sports Center up until about six. And then we took over for the last couple of years. Uh, we've been doing bracketology right up against CBS. For many years, we would come on at seven o'clock when their show was over on CBS when the bracket was whole and we had it ready to go. But now we're kind of going head to head with them at six and then continuing it up until about nine o'clock. So we were going from about five fifteen to six and we dropped into their coverage a couple of different times. And his historical significance and nuggets were just tremendous. I'll give you one example where he stumped the entire set. And this is where I think TV is great, because you always want to be smart, surprising, and special. Those are the three S's we tend to use at ESPN. And he said to anybody on the set, think about this. You got Jay Williams, Seth Greenberg, Jay Billis, Dickie V, like you said, was on a satellite uh, from the SEC tournament. I put. He goes, Okay, 100 bucks. Anybody on the set, 100 bucks. Can anybody name one? I'll even put it out to you guys. 100 bucks. Can anybody name one or two? I'll let you get away with either. One's a little easier. Can anyone name one great player? Great player that played at Gardner Webb. <laughs> I don't even know where it is. I remember the only thing about Gardner Webb, the biggest comeback in Iowa basketball history in Carver Hawkeye Arena, came against the running Bulldogs about seven years ago. That's all I got with Gardner Webb. Uh, that's a good one, um, but the Artis Gilmore, right? And that's a game that a lot of that's a game a lot of younger players or younger people generally don't know. But those are the types of things that he tosses out there yeah. all the time. And I really do believe that those guys live the sport, and it's different when you're living the sport versus sort of dropping in on the sport. And I totally understand when you're on the network and you're only on the weekends, and obviously. Uh, you're sharing it now with Turner, but we have over 3,000 games this year, and I'm not saying he watched every single one of them, but that's the kind of thing when you watch our guys, especially him, um, and I think they're very deferential towards him. A couple of different times on Bracketology, I heard Seth Greenberg say to uh, Reese, what do you think? And it's very akin to when I used to watch baseball tonight, which we don't do as much anymore, where one of our analysts like Kruk or Teixeira or Schilling or Tim Kirkjian would often look at Carl Ravitch, and I know you guys are big baseball guys, he would, they would look at Ravitch and say, what do you think? So instead of having one host and three analysts, or in the case of Bracketology on Sunday, one host and four analysts, it was just five guys talking basketball where the host had as much respect from his peers as anyone else. He's truly a one-of-a-kind guy. Hmm. Speaking of Tim Kirchner, he's on ESPN Live right now talking about Mike Trout, and we'll do that in just a second, as I do want to get your opinion, as I know we've asked you before, if we'd ever see a, a half-a-billion-dollar contract for an athlete with a gap is closed now, we're within $70 million. <laughs> Sounds like a lot, but uh, we're talking about professional <laughs> sports here. We'll get that in a second. Uh, does it seem like uh, it's the Duke Invitational to you, Zubin, or will we... Will, the, will someone other than Duke cut down the Nets three weeks from last night? It seemed consensus-wise at ESPN. There was a lot of love for the Dukies with Zion back, and understandably so. Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that uh, uh, they are the favorite. They're certainly the betting favorite. I probably don't need to tell you guys that. But it's one of those things where, you know, if the, SV, the, the ACG title game was, was interesting. But if the semifinals had gone a little bit differently, and I completely understand that I believe, of the first 80 minutes, the two regular season games between North Carolina and Duke, I want to say Zion played 36 seconds. <laughs> um, but he did play in that semifinal. Easily could have gone Carolina's way. Obviously, that was a true toss-up. 
And if that happens, Carolina absolutely walks away saying that they have taken two of three from Duke. Now, obviously, Zion wouldn't be there for those games. But that certainly shows they're fallible. Uh, only one team, this has been bandied out about a lot here in the last three days, but only one team has defeated uh, Duke at full strength, and that was Gonzaga, and that was in November in Maui, and obviously things have changed between then and now. Um, but the one point that I thought that, that Jay Billis made, not on Duke, but on the one team that had handled Duke at full strength, obviously, which was Gonzaga, and I thought this was a great point, and this has been made over the years, but it was especially accentuated on Sunday, and this guy got lost with the bracketing principles and everything that happened in Michigan State and why are they in Duke Street, all this sort of stuff. He said if you just take a look at Gonzaga's resume in a bubble, considering what they did, now they had a couple of non-conference tests early, which they dropped both, no shame in dropping those games, but they lost them. They did not win their conference tournament, and Jay said if you look at their resume, under no other circumstances, if it was just looked at in a vacuum, as it should be, they would never get a number one seed. No team with that sort of profile would get a number one seed. But they have sort of what Wichita had going and what Gonzaga cultivated, which is the committee deep down, and I know Bernard Muir did a very good job, and there weren't too many complaints about the bracket. Jay's point was Gonzaga sort of comes in with this built-in equity of, well, but we know they're pretty good. Even though they didn't win the conference tournament, even though they lost to St. Mary's, even though they challenged themselves a handful of times and really weren't challenged too much in the final few months of the season. Any other team that simply had their profile in a quote-unquote blind resume, as we love to use at this time of year, would never have gotten a number one seed because nothing in their resume would have indicated that that would be allowed to get a number one seed considering the strength of schedule and what they had done and the fact that they had not won their mid-major conference tourney. But Gonzaga just comes in with so much built-up street spread that they sort of look at it and say, well, we know they are really good because we look at 2017, they went to the title game, and they had an undefeated regular season. They've been a top seed. They made the tournament 18, 19, 20 years straight. That's really never taken into account for any other school when determining a one seed. Their past history always creeps in because we're human. We talk about it all the time in the football rankings. But he did make a really good point that this year of all year, if you really look at Jim Saga's profile and just base it on the merits, just not there. I'm with you. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I was shocked. Zubin, uh, the Big Ten co-champion regular season and tournament winner. I just thought that they would find a way to, to reward the conference with a one. I have no problem with the ACC getting, you know, three one seeds. I think they all deserve it. Virginia, North Carolina, and Duke. Gonzaga's the one to me. I, I just, I don't get, uh, Michigan State where they are. And I guess the, you know, uh, one through 68, they were six, not even fifth. Tennessee was five. They weren't the number one overall two seed. I don't get it, Zubin. Yeah, I would say two things to that. I think some, one of these is just arcane bracketing principles because I was watching our bracketology show and, you know, Reese and all the guys were like, we just got to wait to see the, the true seed list here because there's something going on. And they, I know Bernard Muir, the old uh, uh, chair of this committee, and, you know, Bob Bowles used to have this old job and, uh, at Stanford. And he, Bernard did a great job. Again, I don't think that there was any real hand wringing outside of this Michigan State thing. I don't think people are crying about Clemson and North Carolina. No. I think uh-uh. my large committee did a great job. But I think sometimes you get to these arcane bracketing principles about when you can play somebody and when you can't, especially if you played them in the regular season. And is this distance driving less than this distance? And sometimes I think it can be a little counterproductive. One thing I heard Van Pelt say 
because uh, we had another show, I think, at 11.30 Sunday night Eastern time with just like a Scott Van Pellet bracket show after our NBA. And he said something, to your point, Ken, that I think was really smart, which was you kind of wonder, and don't get me wrong, Sunday was great. There was great drama, Michigan, Michigan State. But you sort of wonder what some of these games mean because mm-hmm. Iowa State won their conference tournament. It's debatable whether that helped them seed-wise. Since he won their conference tournament, I don't think it helped them seed-wise. Auburn won their conference tournament. I'm not sure it helped them seed-wise. Michigan State won their conference tournament. didn't help them Mm seed-wise. And what's the other one Van Pelt brought up? Oh, Villanova. They won their conference tournament, and I'm not sure it helped them seed-wise. I'm not saying it did it. I'm not saying it didn't. And I understand where the Big Ten is backed up at a 3.30 Eastern start for a 6 o'clock bracket. Totally get that. But I think all of those examples, if you could really think about it and detach the fans from each of those teams and say, do we really benefit at all by winning this conference tournament? All those conference tournaments I just named, I think they're pretty legit conference tournaments. But all of the teams that won them didn't really get the anticipated bounce. I mean, look at who Auburn beat just the last two days, you know? And none of those teams got the requisite bounce that you would think winning a conference tourney would get. So if there's another nitpick there, I would say perhaps that. So Zubin, we talked about the Bryce Harper deal back March 2nd. $330 million. Of course, many people out there were outraged to have that much money to play baseball. And then, you know what? The Angels, <laughs> the Angels, Mike Trout said, here, hold my beer. You think 330 is <laughs> big? Here's $430 million over 12 years. And you know what? With the player that he is, might be a good deal. You know, I think what it comes down to is that, and this is with all due respect to um, Bryce Harper, but I think that Mike Trout is just a much greater chance of engendering a bidding war, and obviously he was able to win that war. I think at a certain point the Nats basically said, here it is, 10 years, $300 million. We have more money, um, but we obviously also signed Patrick Corbin. We have to be fiscally responsible. Here's what we can offer. The Phillies openly, ownership, I believe used the word, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, stupid. We're ready to spend stupid money. So basically you've got two real suitors. One, the only franchise the kid has ever known, that said, listen, here's 10, 300, we're offering you more money before anybody, here's what our deal is. And then the market just simply never materialized for Bryce Harper, and one team had gone on record saying that they were likely going to be bidding against themselves and they did it. So at the end, you had two serious suitors because no matter what the Dodgers and the Giants offered, um, you know, Harper made it clear that he was not interested in a short-term deal. And Boris made it clear that while the AAV average annual value might not be as high as other players, they wanted to break some sort of benchmark. And you're not going to break a overall dollar benchmark with a five-year deal or whatever the Dodgers, the Giants were offering. I think for Mike Trout, He's proven himself to be in a situation where I think he's almost always top two in the MVP voting. And he's clearly the best player in baseball. With all due respect to Arenado and Machado and Trout, I think if you ask people, people will just generally say this guy is the best guy. So if you're getting close to a $430 million deal, he's got the one thing that Bryce didn't. He's got two desperate suitors. Because while the Phillies were desperate, and it only takes one team, and their words, stupid, indicated how desperate they were, spent stupid money, the Nets really weren't. The Nats were absolutely willing to say, we've groomed you, we've brought you into baseball from the College of Southern Nevada, we've brought you up at Strasburg, but here's our limit, and that's it, and we're willing to walk away, and we have no regrets. Whereas, at least for the Angels, and 
let's say the Phillies, if they were to get involved, um, you've got two desperate suitors. Because let's say he had left to go join the Phillies with Bryce Harper. He grew up in Billville, New Jersey, which is a suburb of Philadelphia, a huge Eagles fan. The Angels know that their viability was tied to Mike Trout. And remember, you've got two owners here, one on record saying he would spend stupid money, and the other who gave the other definition of stupid (laughs) to C.J. Wilson, Josh Hamilton, and Albert Pujols. And if you're going to open up the coffers for those three guys, and I understand Pujols was being paid for what he had done versus what he can do, and I'm not taking anything away from how great Albert is, but if you're Artie Moreno, and you're fighting a fight, and you're the number two team in Los Angeles, but you rebranded yourself and renamed yourself to try to become the number one team in Los Angeles, and you've already handed out a boatload of money to three players who don't profile nearly as well as Mike Trout, so when all is said and done, I'm sure Pujols' numbers will be right there at the end with anybody of his generation. If you're willing to hand those three contracts out, you will be desperate to retrain, retain Mike Trout. You've got a first-year manager, it's the only reason people are coming to see you play. So when you've got two desperate teams, the winner is going to be Mike Trout. But the real winner, as you know, is Major League Baseball having to get him in October. I believe Mike Trout has played in one postseason series and has never won mm. a postseason game. Not his fault. Baseball has just got to get him front and center when it matters the most. Excellent point, Zubin. Uh, five seconds. Who's, got, who's cutting down the nets three weeks from last night? Virginia, I'm oh. the story over the season. That's, and it would be a remarkable story, no doubt about it. Zubin, we'll talk to you next week. Thank you for what you do. Of course, guys. Take care. Good to talk to you. Zubin Mante, ESPN. Trent, <laughs> we've got to give away a flag from Heartland Flags. We do. Our random fan of the day. Yesterday, we got a couple of Ohio State fans. See, that that one was in. easy. This one today is going to be very difficult. And this is what Heartland Flag, well, one of the many things they do well. Mm-hmm. Any team, any sport, any flag. Heartlandflags.com. You're so, one of those guys. You're a Winnipeg Jets. I fan. do have that flag, yes. And they got a flag, the Winnipeg Jets. They and they fight. had it in stock. Now this one, the Cincinnati Bearcats. So what do we need? What do we need our person who is a Cincinnati fan to do to win this flag? All you need to do: tweet at Miller and Condon on Twitter at Miller, Miller and Condon, and also tag Heartland Flags in there mm-hmm. too. And just a picture proving that you are a fan. You in a T-shirt at your desk. You got a little Bearcat, whatever it may be. Just tweet us a picture of yourself showing that you are a Cincinnati fan. This one could be tough. I, I don't know. Ohio State fans is a huge state university. You mentioned nationwide. A lot of nationwide mm-hmm. connections. I'm sure people that lived in Columbus got transferred to Des Moines. That was easy. Cincinnati, a commuter school. Not probably a lot of people that make their way out, but maybe you're a big Kenyon Martin fan back in the day. Nick Van Exel got you going, and you stayed with that bandwagon. If that's the case and you're a Bearcat fan, Tweet us a picture of yourself proving it, and you got a flag from Heartland Flagpoles and Flags. So, well, it gets you disqualified because I got a sense that we'll be looking at our Twitter feed at two thirty, three o'clock, still waiting for. <laughs> if we get to that point, would a Cincinnati Reds or a Bengals would we, that suffice? Uh, maybe, maybe we'll we'll see what we can do. Let, let's not get to that point. There's no, somebody I, out. There. I hope There's somebody out. There. I hope we find that Bearcat. I think they are. I think they're there. Tweet at us at Miller and Conan. Get that free flag. We'll come back, wrap up the program. We're on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460. I'm pricing my berry. It's 24-hour sports, morning, noon, and night, here on 1460 KXNO.
Ankeny Dry Cleaners. Horse in Ankeny. Essentially at the corner of 60, Highway 69 and 1st Street. They are just uh, south of that, 122 South Ankeny Boulevard. If you're new to Ankeny, just moved in, you're looking for that dry cleaner. Uh, Ankeny Dry Cleaners has been there a long, long time. They look after the family, Ankeny Dry Cleaners. And uh, I also want to give a shout-out to our friends at Wolf Construction Roofing. As you know, I'm going through a lot of construction right now, rebuilding the house. Well, the fireplace is being taken out. You're not going to have a fireplace? It'll be an electric fireplace that is being replaced. And because of that, they're capping off the fireplace. Well, the roofing and the flashing up there, when it was raining last week, need to be done. Made a call over there. They were there in minutes to get it done. Got it covered up until we get the official what we're going to do with the roof up there. Closing it off. But they're incredibly helpful. Pretty much every job that you have, you can do a complete re-roof. They can get it done in a day. You don't got trucks in your yard for weeks on end. Right. Wolf Construction. Give them a call. Great people out there. Right. Halfway through the job, the rains open up, and uh-huh. then you're clobbered. Uh, good stuff, uh, Trent Connor. Well, uh, there's a couple of games tonight as we officially lift the lid. I guess it is official. They're part of the NCAA tournament. There's 68 teams. Mm-hmm. We'll have four of them in action tonight. You have an opinion on either one of them? Like, I probably am not going to watch the two 16 seeds go at it. I usually flip it on right away. And then, because it starts at 540 our it's time. It's early, yes. So you get a little early, mm-hmm. watch till the under 16 or under 12, and that's enough of that. And if it's close, then come back to it at the end. What I have learned throughout the years, one thing that I've done is whoever the dog is in this one, and if it's a tight line, just take the underdog on the money line, and you'll get plus 120, 125. And throughout the years, it's been fruitful. Who knows if that's the case this year, but they're two bad teams. So what would you, who is... Um... Prairie View is getting two in the hook. Okay, so you would bet Fairleigh Dickinson in this case. No, I would take Prairie View on the money line. Oh, on the money line. Take gotcha. the underdog on the money line because two bad teams, one of the bad teams has to win. Yep. Maybe you're the one that you get some plus money at. And you'll win one of these two 16 matchups. That's what I've done in the past. Belmont Temple, though. This is, I'll watch this game today. Yeah, not bad. Mm-hmm. Ohio Valley? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the number? Three and a half. Uh, some threes, three and a half out there. Belmont favorite. A lot of Belmont love in the brackets. There strength. has been. Got to get there first, though. Right. A lot of people think that they win tonight and will pick off Maryland. I'm not one of them. Fran Dumphy, final game yeah. as an owl coach. Yeah, there's that angle. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. The well, Murph and Andy are next to two. The Fanatics at four. And then the morning rush starts it all over again tomorrow morning. Thanks for being here. Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO.